Welcome to the New Zealand China Council podcast. I'm Colin Rice, partner at PwC and executive committee member of the council. Today, I'm speaking with Mohammed Hikmet, founder and executive chairman of HMI Technologies Group. Mohammed has for a long time been a key figure in intelligent transport systems, both in New Zealand and internationally. Until last year, Mohammed was president of the ITS Leadership Group and sat on the ITS World Congress Board of Directors and the ITS Asia Pacific Board of Directors. Mohammed founded HMI Technologies in 2002 and has now established Omeo Automation, one of Asia Pacific's most innovative intelligent transport systems and autonomous vehicle businesses. And a final point to note is that Mohammed has also been awarded the New Zealand Entrepreneur of the Year for Ernst & Young and was a world finalist in that competition in 2019. I started our discussion by asking Mohammed what led him into this fascinating business. I'm glad that you asked this question, Colin. We use uh, our main business for HMI technologies for infrastructure and we use LED signs to communicate with drivers. We thought that if there would be no drivers, how are we going to communicate with the vehicles? We need to find a different way. And we knew that there will be a change coming. And the more we thought about it, the more we realized that we need to be part of that change rather than being just hit by the tsunami of that change on us. So a disruptive technology that's basically disintermediating drivers from the process of transporting people. Exactly. So the signs that we put on the road, they have specifications that needs to be implemented there so that it makes sure that it's visible. It's designed for human being. But if you think 10 years ahead, there will be computers that are doing the driving. And if the computers are doing the driving, whether we are going to need those features which are designed for the human being or we're going to need something else. We've been privileged enough to go out and have a, a journey around in one of the uh, one of the vehicles, but for the people on the podcast, I think it'd be really helpful to understand what does the vehicle actually do, what are the unique features, and where do you see the market for these vehicles in the future? Well, first of all, there are six levels of autonomous vehicles, and what we have been, uh, so from level zero to level five. Level zero, when there is nothing on the vehicle, and I'm not going to go through the one, two, three, but what we have, just what we make, is level four. Level four means the vehicle is expecting the environment it's around it. So what we do here, we lay down virtual tracks and the vehicle will continue to follow those tracks as if they were real tracks on the ground. Uh, it can redo that again and again with an accuracy of a few millimeters. So that's what makes it so good and special. There is level five, and level five, they are trying to do vehicles just like the human being, driving vehicles anywhere, in any environment. And the problem that we are having with this kind of vehicles until now, we are not able to see one of them on the road because there are human beings driving. And whatever system you can come up, whatever technology that you can come it becomes a little bit difficult to predict the human error, which is responsible for 93% of the incidents and the problems we have on the road now. So this is that how to come up with a system that can drive alongside the human being with the errors that unpredicted human being, if I may say. The system can run with 
with a road code and it can follow the road code, but what when the human being makes the error and does not follow the, the road code, what we will do? This is what's stopping level five from coming in. So in between, there is level four, which is us, where something happens there when something wrong, we just stop. So human beings bringing an unacceptable level of randomness to vehicle movements that without that your vehicles are able to operate. Does that imply then that uh, your vehicles are designed to work in a contained environment? So they can operate in any environment, basically. But it needs to be um, expected environment. So it can work with a shared environment. And I could have demonstrated to you how the vehicle could work along pedestrians and other vehicles around. Um, it's no problem. The vehicle can handle that but the vehicle will not deviate from its original track that it's been set to work on. And that provides some kind of safety where the vehicle can tell way ahead that if something is on the track and whether there's, there are some pedestrians that are walking where they would be on the track at the time where the vehicle passes a certain point. So these are all areas where we make sure that, that it's, it needs to be safe. This is about safety and needs to be nothing less than very, very, very safe. People are not tolerant in terms of autonomous vehicle. There is a lot of incidents every day which you don't hear about them, but one autonomous vehicle make one small incident and it's on the newspaper everywhere around the world. We are not prepared to accept any mistake that could come out of an autonomous vehicle. So we need to work around these kind of expectations from people around. I think it'd be helpful for people to understand what environments do you see? Where, where do you see the markets for these vehicles going into the future? The immediate one is first mile, last mile, only mile. That means there's a, a bus route that takes you from one place to another, ferry, um, a train, and then at the end, you need to get out of the train or the ferry or the bus and walk for another one and a half kilometer or two kilometers. This vehicle can take you from there up to your ride. So it makes your trip door to door. And that's a big improvement when you think that these are major decisions people will make when you decide to use public transport or not. If it's raining, if it's too hot, if it's uh, you, just when you think about that extra mile that you need to do from home to the station and Imagine if you can use your mobile phone to call the vehicle and takes you from doorstep to the station. That will make your trip much more comfortable and, you know, convenient. And this is the main one. But we believe that in the next two to three years, these kind of autonomous vehicles will start to, to take some or part of the public transport routes. For example, when you get to the city where there's a big, huge a hub to take many buses there. They, you could extend these terminals outside the city and leave those autonomous vehicles operating inside the city, taking passengers from one side to the other in a much more organized way, synchronized with the other buses, rather than getting every bus that comes from outside the city to, to go into congestion inside the city. So it, it really is personalising that journey experience to enable the use of mass rapid transport by solving the challenges that people feel around that, that last mile or um, kind of distribution from the hubs. Absolutely. This is 
a way. It's a more, as you mentioned, personalized experience. So the vehicle should know who's on board and whether there are certain needs for the passengers there, whether the passenger needs a special requirements like a, a chairlift for passengers with disability. These are all features where you can address what uh, the requirements to the passengers and it could be seamless. Uh, from your mobile phone, you could be identified and, and the system will react to your needs. We're sitting in Pakaranga in Auckland, which is a not the first place in the world you'd think of for a technology business like this, because the, the market, I assume, is, is global. How did you establish your connection with China? Talk us through that and the um, particular kind of locations that, uh, that you're working with in China. The first time I landed in China was 1991. And since then, I was fascinated by the way that you could do things there and you can make things much easier and much simpler to get things happen. They just happen there. That fascinates me from all the way back since that time. When we came here and we started to do the sign business, so the first thing I thought about is how to get the supply chain to go through China and get things done there. So we've established our own factory in 2009 in, in China and uh, created a module where the innovation and the R&D and the, what we need to put our hands on on the business is just right here where we are. But to make this compete with other suppliers from around the world, you need to have or to include that China part of it so that I can compete to sell the products anywhere in the world. And uh, that worked, that formula, formula worked so well to do so. So then with the autonomous vehicle business, you were very keen to follow that same pattern of, of establishing your manufacturing in China. There's quite a difference between kind of the manufacturing of sign business and an autonomous, you know, the quantum of IP and coding, I imagine, that goes into a vehicle is, is infinitely higher. So how did you establish that? Uh, it's, it's an exciting story. We were, um, my CEO, Dean Zaprizak, and we went with the AT team of the tri- part of the tripartite to L.A., and over there, we met someone from Guangzhou, and he says, why don't you bring the manufacturing of Omya to China as well? And that was for us a very, you know, we didn't think about this at that stage. But believe it or not, since that time, two weeks after that date, we've signed the MOU with the city of Hushan in China. So we were impressed of how easy it was to establish that connection, how easy it was, and how China was so open to, to have this facility there and to put in such easiness of getting this idea into there. Because it was technology, it was green. We ticked a lot of boxes. Mm-hmm. So if you have the right business, if you have the right approach, you'll see that it's, we felt very welcome there. One of the uh, challenges that is always raised around China, particularly around technology businesses, is IP transfer. So with the establishing your business there, how have you gone through the process of, of thinking through how you can protect your IP and could retain that for the group? This is a, a very good question. We have 
created Omeo on a platform, and that platform has modules connected to it. From day one, we said Omeo should be like a mobile phone, where you create the platform and you allow other partners to come and join you to develop things on your mobile phone. Mm -hmm. So you have your mobile phone, there are so many programs and there's innovations on the mobile phone that not necessarily comes from the manufacturer of the mobile phone itself. And we are thinking about the autonomous vehicle in the same way. We've created the platform, the platform is Omia. There's plenty for China to develop there, there's plenty of R&D to be done both in New Zealand and China and everywhere in the world. We are now selling to Korea as well, doing a fair bit of, of R&D on top of the vehicle, each one in different directions. So there's plenty to be done. There's no need for us to compete or to take things from each other. We can't continue without the knowledge that we are getting from China in terms of the hardware of the vehicle. Mm. Uh, China is advanced in the automobile manufacturing and it's one of the centers in the world. If you want a specific hardware piece in China, you, you get 20 of them, 20 different options. In Europe, you get maybe three and you'll be lucky even to get one in New Zealand. It's very difficult. So while, for example, to get some kind of innovation, if you come with a problem and that problem needs to be done, you'll find that New Zealand could come with an answer so quickly and can understand the sort of how to address this problem in a very, very efficient manner. So we take what's good from everywhere and just put it together. We don't need to call it, this is Chinese, this is New Zealand, this is some, something else. So you bring it all together into one platform. I, I love the, the description of uh, creating the platform, then there's an ecosystem of uh, technology built around that to create this personalized journey for people. There is enough space for everyone. And if you think about it, Every partner joins, make the cake bigger. It's not even a big cake to split. It's the cake will become bigger. And that's the beauty about this. So we would rather work on a collaboration type rather than competing side. Talking about how big is the cake then, what's the market for these vehicles? And geographically, where do you see that as, as being? Well, it's coming. 2025, China just said that they will have I think 20% of their fleet to be electric and to have also autonomous features inside it. You look at Korea, you look at the United States, Europe, everywhere, it's coming towards us. There's, it's not about whether it's going to happen or not, it's about when, when it is happening. So in terms of the market, our immediate estimation, it's around 45 billion that is coming across us but we think it's much more. It's like a threshold. Once you just go over it, everyone would go for autonomous vehicle and it will change. The world will change. Do you see that as being a system where you have different brands of vehicles that can all interact and interplay? Is there a common operating system behind this? Or is it one of these technology races where somebody will win out and they will control the landscape. That's excellent question, Colin. This is exactly what we are talking between the difference between level four and level five. Level four, you could create that system as a city and allow manufacturers to come, but as long as they comply with the system that you have there, we think that this is gonna happen soon. 
and this is what is available for autonomous vehicle at the moment. While a system with a vehicle to decide everything to do, that's a little bit further away. I'm not very sure we are there yet, and there will be some big challenges. Again, it's about the human being around. So we need to really wait for that for a long time. But with regards to level four and that system is just like the MTR system or the train system, the train is set to go, or, or even the airplanes, they are set to go from A to B. You know where, how they will go there, when they will be, and you can safely manage the group together. But for anyone to get in, you need the permission to be in on the system. And then once you have that permission, you can do it very safely. I wanted to ask you a question about the development of technology and where your teams sit between New Zealand, Australia. I think you have some people as well, and then into into China. How does that work in terms of the interaction between those teams and where the majority of the capability sits? Does that migrate over time? Because what I'm thinking about is your analogy of the, or being analogous to your comment on where componentry is available. Uh, Is there also a question of where the skills of the design people and the coders is also available where the pool is just much bigger in China. Does that create a a natural draw? Well, first of all, I wouldn't call them three teams. I'll call them one team. It's one team operating. However, the location of each member of the team could be in a different city. And that allows them close to where things could be done geographically better. For example, as testing for the vehicle and doing things for the vehicle, we found in New Zealand, Christchurch was the best place for us to develop things. And the airport, Christchurch International Airport, was one of the pioneers in New Zealand to think about autonomous vehicle, how they would come, how it would affect their parking business. And this is really something that went so well. And our partnership with them went well. In Sydney, there were trials for the vehicles, and we saw that the city was really looking forward of how to implement and how to establish, take the trials to implementation to to really even pass legislation for, for autonomous vehicles. So some places around the world are ahead of the others and it's for a company like us, it's good to be there when it happens because it gives you advantage of moving on. So each part of the company could be located. So in China, the manufacturing side of the team makes sense to be there while in New Zealand the innovation type of the team would be here and in Australia the the implementation side of the team would be there and so on so we are in Korea we are talking about having extending our R&D team over there to be some of them would be there as I mentioned every partner comes the, the cake gets bigger and if it gets bigger it helps us you know, improving the entire sector, it's good for us. So we kind of encourage partners to come in and we be next to them, we be close to them. There's another opportunity in the United States we are working on. And if that happens, I expect few members of our team would be there as well. 
wouldn't it be nice to be able to uh, leave and enter the country a bit more, <laughs> a bit more freely again? Yeah. The, uh, that must have been a, a challenge with one team dispersed uh, across uh, different locations. Oh, from one side, it's, it's good to be global. And now COVID comes and maybe that's one of, <laughs> of your next questions. COVID comes and then travel will become a problem. Uh, but I would say we've managed to do it so well. In Korea, we've sold vehicles and the vehicles went there without even our engineers here were remotely commissioning them and get them to do what it's required. We've had uh, another demonstration or for a client in Europe and we've done that through Zoom and there were so many five different cameras that pointing to the eye and they've just tested everything that they wanted to test. So I would say the world is changing to take this I think you've taken the definition of autonomous vehicle to a new level. If you're able to commission one in Korea without leaving Auckland, that sounds um, truly impressive. That was a a challenge we've managed to change to an opportunity (laughs) to be the first to do it. I would just like to come back to to talk a little bit more about China as a market, because you said earlier about the different markets that you're playing into. But China is so advanced in terms of its approach to EVs, uh, kind of transport in general, and having a vision and a plan for the future. Does that translate into a more accessible, open kind of market than, than some other geographies which don't have that forward-looking aspect or as much of an, or as being as embracing of change as China is? China has a lot of things that it makes it an advantage to be there. One of them is the resources. They have the resources, but most important, they have the vision as well. The vision they have towards autonomous vehicle, they are ahead of others and they are toward electric vehicles as well. So to have an electric vehicle, it's a plus. In China, it's a plus to have an electric vehicle. It's a plus to have autonomous vehicle. It's a plus to use AI. It's a plus to use a, like green or, or sustainable energy over there. These are all like a, very much compatible in, with what OMIO is about. And uh, OMIO not only as a vehicle, OMIO is at, as an ecosystem altogether, autonomous vehicle like an ecosystem. So China is like paradise for such technology and uh, for such sector to be there. One thing I'd just like to get your view on is New Zealand's place in the world. So we're geographically isolated, but really well connected with free trade agreements and obviously the historic agreement with China and the upgrade of that. How have you found operating out of New Zealand and the the benefits or challenges, both from a physical point of view, and I think you've talked about a few of those, but also from that trade agreements and access to markets? Well, yes, true, we are remote and we are geographically isolated, but you'll find from the other side, we are so much connected with everyone, almost everyone. So in terms of connections and relations, we are right in the center. Of the world there's i travel a lot and i haven't ever seen a place where i go and as a new zealander i felt myself unwelcomed or or they see me anything other than a very close friend this neutral position or friendly position that new zealand has around the world allows us exporters and manufacturers and innovators to be in a very much an advantage position so i consider ourselves lucky lucky to to be 
from New Zealand, lucky to be in New Zealand. And these benefits that you mentioned, that free trade agreements and other things, they are just enablers for us to do things. But the perception to New Zealand is right there from the beginning. It's a friendly place, I think. These are challenges, but it's an opportunity now. So the historic challenges and disadvantages have really been overtaken by technology to a large degree. But then our position in the world, uh, as you say, is somebody who's great to work with, and also, frankly, an advantage of being small and relatively uh, kind of unthreatening to people kind of gives us an advantage now? Uh, absolutely. And I'll tell you how New Zealand itself allow help uh, its innovators and manufacturers. I've told you about the vehicle to Korea, and there was a big launching of the vehicle, and there was celebration. Everyone, the mayor is coming, everyone coming. So we couldn't go there, and it can't be a vehicle that you can take to Korea, and this is the first OMEO vehicle going to Korea and without. So on our behalf, it was the ambassador of New Zealand who went and attended that, and another staff from NZTE. That by itself shows us as a team. I mentioned before, we have a team. Everyone is working like a team. I felt that we are working as a team, and... After that, there will be no excuse. You need to win. If you have such a team, you must win. There's no excuse. And again, we are lucky. <laughs> and the TE, MFAT, there are many organizations. And I've seen during COVID and, you know, and over, they became so innovative in the way that they could help organizations like us and how to enable that to the part where they say our staff Consider our staff in Korea as your staff. Just ask them to do what you can't do normally without without being there. And to have such resource to work on and to have such understanding, again, we are so lucky. So we talked about China as a, a market. Tell us a bit more about your manufacturing facility there. So you've got the factory, which you're, um, is that under construction or what's the status of that? Well, there are two factories. One of them is the one we started in 2008, 2009. That's roughly around 3,000 square meter there. There are over 50, 50 employees there that are working over there. Now the plans for Romeo to have its own factory there in Hershan and the plan is for 8,000 square meter there. We are planning to have just around 50 vehicles a year as a plan for the first year. And then this factory is capable to really go 10 times bigger than this. We can do 500 vehicles a year in that particular space that we have at the moment. Wow, that's that's pretty impressive from a vehicle a week to uh, 10 vehicles a week. Yeah, it's more of just it being mass production. So we will make everything as a standard and things going to be connected together and then big parts going to be connected to the chassis and that's it. So that would allow us to really get uh, vehicles out more than a vehicle a day. And is the location of the factory then important? If you've got to plan for that mass production then being part of a supply chain that's enabled to support that? We are in a very newly developed area where they are trying to connect it. So there is a train to it. There's an airport close to it. There are ports next to it. So as a location, this is really a nice location to be in. 
and clearly an opportunity for some autonomous vehicles to bring that all together. Yes, of course. Well, not only that, the city was was quite welcoming us to do some trials in the city and have the vehicle. This is important to us as well. We need to ensure that we could operate the vehicles in different environments, and part of it is the testing. So we could, the more testing we do, the more the more we can get the vehicle to operate in different environments. And the city of Hishan was so welcoming to have that testing done over there, you know, in their city. Mohammed, that's been an amazing story. Um, Thank you so much for sharing that with us. One piece of advice, if you had one pearl of wisdom to share with other New Zealand entrepreneurs, kind of thinking about their place in the world and, and how to work with China, what would that be? Well, let's talk about it from this uh, point of view. China is a is an important part of the business that enable the New Zealand business to get to the world. It's not only a location or how to do that, but it's in terms of getting the product to the level where you can mass produce and get that global coverage. In New Zealand, we again, we can make a lot of innovations. We can make a lot of really great ideas. But these ideas need to be implemented on that supply chain. You need China to be there. So China, for me, at least for my experience, was an enabler for the business to grow internationally. Thanks very much, Mohammed. That's been fascinating. For more podcasts, please check out the Council's website, nzchinacouncil.org.nz, or find the NZ China Council podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. Thanks for listening.